0: Thank you all so much. I love this community. I, I really, really do. So I am Pamela, last name Simpson, and I've been a part of Spark since its inception. And Pastor Danielle has been my pastor before she was a pastor of Spark. So I love her dearly. I love this congregation dearly. Um I grew up in the Bay Area. I am the second of four siblings, and am a true middle child. Um, I grew up in the church, uh, Sunday school, children's choir, youth choir, youth group—all the things. So, in fact, when I was a, a freshman in high school, I was voted—and I won't go into all the process—I was voted as Miss Saint John, <laughs> and that gave me the capability to travel to uh, different conventions and lead in youth groups and, and all that, all that stuff. So. Um, I've identified as being a a Christian since my childhood where not going to church was not an option. So I have always been very um, involved and I'm super appreciative of this time to, to share with you all. So let me start by saying sidebar. Recently I was watching the movie called Everything Everywhere All At Once. And it was challenging for me. There was so much going on, and it was kind of hard for me to follow. So I got about 2 thirds of the way through, and I looked at Gary, and I said, wow, there's too much going on here. It's hard to follow. And I think I'm going to turn it off. (laughs) So later, I talked to my daughter. And she loved the movie. And she said, no, you have to stick to it to the very end, and then you'll get it. Um, So I promised I would go back and finish it. Haven't yet, but I will. But in thinking about the movie, um, I made that statement about my life so many times. This is way too much. There's way too much going on, and it's hard to follow. So this is where my why Jesus starts. Because in my life, Jesus is everything, everywhere, all at once. And so um, it starts, you know, in, in many times I've been challenged with, with different things. Um, and it's been a journey to, to this point. Learning to ask questions, learning to seek guidance, um, learning to, to trust Jesus has shown up for me in every challenge, in every struggle, and in every question. And honestly, there have been many times where as a church member, I have asked some questions and got the side eye. Like, no, I you just believe. You don't you don't ask. You you just believe. Um, and in my journey with Jesus, I found that, that that is not the case. He is open for questions. He's, he's bigger than the box we often put him in. So what do I mean by everything, everywhere, all at once? Jesus has been my rescue plan even when I didn't know I needed rescuing. So a couple examples. Um, I had a struggle when my kids were in high school and trying to figure out um, whether to take a job where I would be home or not, and just all the things with parenthood and career and and all of that. And I prayed, but it was a hard decision. And when I made the decision, um, I left my job, and still praying, not knowing if I had had made the right decision and maybe I was doing the wrong thing, I left my job on the bar coming down the escalator where usually it's very, very crowded, and I heard a voice saying, I'm with you. I'm with you always. And I looked around. There was no one on the escalator. It was just me. So I've had several experiences like that where I've just been gotten reaffirmation that God is with me all the time. And so um, a, another example is, is during the, the, the pandemic where um, everything was shut down. We were working remotely. Black Lives Matters protests, all the things were going on, and companies were looking to their black employees to provide guidance. And I was overwhelmed. And I prayed, and God puts people and situations in your path. And after I prayed, it just said, call God said, call Pastor Danielle, <laughs> and I called her, and she was a support for me, and she talked me off the, the ledge that I was on of, of panic and all of that, um, and then she pointed me to Pastor Kevin, where he was able to provide, you know, some assistance with pulling together information from my company to, to do different things, to shine a light on justice and to shine a light on, on doing the right thing. So that's what I mean by Jesus is everything, everywhere, all at once. Because no matter what situation I find my in, myself in, um, Jesus is there. So the way of Jesus is also inclusive, radical, and personal. So Jesus accepts all of us for who we are. And and I have just a little story. When My husband and I, right after we got married, we hosted a a wedding reception for a couple in our church. And we invited all the people from church. And we invited all of the people, the family and the friends from the couple. And so we were in the house. And halfway through the reception, we noticed all the church people were in the front room. And all the non-church people were in the back room. Where all the fun and the music and all of that was, (laughs) and Gary and I tried to bring people together, and it just didn't. It just didn't work. And then later on, we had rumblings at church about us hosting this wild party with with all the people and all the things. Um, But then when we talked about it, this is the way of Jesus. Jesus welcomes all of us in and wants us all to come. As we are, there, there's no pretense, there's no criteria for, for um, connecting with Jesus. It's, we're all in the same place. And so one of the things that I love about Jesus is that he opens the door for all of us. And we don't have to worry about being voted out because we think a certain way, we look a certain way, we make certain choices. It's, we're just all a part of, of the family um, why Jesus also? Jesus is radical and real. And I didn't know just how radical until I went to the Israel trip with Pastor Danielle and Pastor Kevin and saw some of the places and the content that Jesus said what he said. And I said, this, this guy's bold. <laughs> and that gave me reassurance, um, especially in light of growing up as a, a black woman, um, I, I remember when John F. Kennedy was 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 shot. I remember Martin Luther King. I remember the riots in Detroit. I remember in Alabama. I remember all the things. And so, do we just sit and say, "Oh well, that's just the way things are"? Or are we emboldened to take a stand and stand up for what's right and and to speak out? And my why Jesus is because Jesus says yes, yes, and yes. We stand up. We stand for, we stand with. So Jesus is radical and real. And then lastly, um, my why Jesus is because it's personal. It's personal. Jesus meets me wherever I am. In all of the situations, all of my quirks, all of my mistakes, all of my missteps, I find Jesus right there with me. And he's that way for, for everybody else. And um, I love that. I, I love not having to risk being pushed out. And, and actually, I, I have been pushed out of the church before for not bad reasons, but because I chose to stay and teach the kids where the ministry was going kind of sideways. And I was told, well, you can't, if you're not going to listen to the preaching, you can't stay and teach the kids. So I had to leave. Sadly, but Jesus is all inclusive, um, and I I truly appreciate that. I, I'm going to end with a couple of scriptures, um, and this is something I always tell my kids: no matter what the situation, ask, ask, seek, search. Matthew seven seven says, "Ask and it will be given to you; seek and you will find." Knock and the door will be open to you. And Jesus opens that to, to all of us. I, I like Sparks wrestling. I, I like that. And I like the ability to come here and to ask questions and not necessarily just accept every we don't have to check our heads at the door when we come in. Um, and finally, Jesus in Matthew 1820, um it says, and Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded of you, and this is what I love. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. So that's my why, Jesus.
1: kids. You can go with Pastor Mark. Welcome, everybody. Thank you, Pamela. Beautiful, wonderful. It is a privilege to call you friend and sister and sparker and all the things. Thank you. Um, Thank you for everybody who's been contributing um, for these last several weeks in our Why Jesus series. It's been such a gift to hear from one another and to hear why Jesus, why we're here, why we're trying to follow this wonderful, amazing rabbi um, who's continuing to surprise us and amaze us and challenge us and love us and be with us all the time. So thank you so much. We're going to continue our Fruit of the Spirit series, and we're actually concluding it this evening. I'm Pastor Danielle. I'm one of the pastors here at Spark and really excited um, to be with you all. So thanks for joining us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you through the study of your word we ask, Lord, that you would tune our hearts to yours, that you would make us aware of your presence in this place, that we would um, hear footsteps and be reminded that you are here and that you walk with us. We ask, Lord, that our hearts would be softened to you and our ears um, tuned to hear your words and your voice today. Meet us here, Jesus. Make us aware of how you are present here in this place. We ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, we have been in Galatians and Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and following. And as uh, is typically our custom at Spark, we typically go through like a whole book, like line by line, word for word. I think it took us like two years to get through Genesis, right? It took us a long time. Um, And with Galatians, though, Kevin did an intro at the very beginning of this series, so if you didn't get a chance to hear that, go back in the podcast and grab that intro, because this is one of the first times, I think almost, at Spark, where we've just sort of jumped in and grabbed a section. And we did it for a few different reasons, um, we're, and talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, but let's remind ourselves of the passage that we're looking at. Ooh, that was fast. Slow down. Okay. There we go. Okay. That's happening so quickly for me. All right. Four, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love, serve one another. For the whole Torah is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you go on snapping at each other and tearing each other to pieces, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. What I'm saying is this, Paul says, live by the Spirit. And then you will not do what your old nature wants. For what your old nature desires is contrary to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is contrary to the old nature. They oppose each other. So that you find yourselves unable to carry out your good intentions. But if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not in subjection to the system that results from perverting the Torah into legalism. And it's perfectly evident what the old nature does, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things have no share in the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, nothing in the Torah, in the law. There is no law that stands against such things. Moreover, those who belong to the Messiah Jesus have put their old nature to death on the stake, along with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So here we are concluding our Fruit of the Spirit series, and it's been, in my opinion, a wonderful series. I've gotten to listen to some fantastic teaching from our teaching team here at Spark and been very grateful for all of that. And I think when you're doing the conclusion, there's a temptation to say, here's all the things we've learned. And I'm not sure if it would be a Spark sermon without mentioning Princess Bride, so I'm going to say, let me explain. No, there's too much. Let me sum up. Okay, so I'm not going to go through everybody's... If you haven't watched the... We just need a Princess Bride movie night so we can Get all of you on the page and have all the echoes. We can sing back. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Um, I think for a long time as a youth minister, this was like the only movie you could show kids that wasn't a cartoon, but that they still felt like they watched. And you'd have to like really run and leap to grab that one word at the very end, if you don't know, it's okay. There's one word that if you're on the youth pastor bus to and from Southern California, you had to like leap and mute right before you got to that one word. And then other than that, you could, this was, so it's ingrained in my brain, every single line. Let me explain all that we've been doing so far. Nope. There's too much. I'm going to sum up. Okay. So the first thing I'd like to point out is that Paul starts with, you were called to freedom brothers and sisters. Now, he's talking about this because there's dissension amongst the people in Galatia, and there's people saying, hey, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to do all of these works of the law. You have to do circumcision. You have to keep kosher. You have to do these things. You can't be part of this movement without taking on these ethnic identifiers. And then Paul saying, no, you don't. you Gentiles, you don't have to do that. Like, if you're a Jew, remain a Jew. If you're a Gentile, remain a Gentile. All are one in Christ Jesus. We can all do this together, right? We can come together. We can follow Christ. Stay who you are. You're not obligated. But then maybe there is a contention with people who are like, well, I'm free to do whatever I want. So you're called to freedom, but Paul says don't use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love serve one another. And I'm going to suggest that as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, singular fruit, that the fruit segment of love is the one that Paul is going to argue is pervasive throughout all of the other characteristics that he's going to talk about. Now, when Paul says, we are called to freedom, he's not saying it's the five a day, your way, pick your fruit, whatever fruit you like, you do it your way. You can just say, this is not the same as spiritual gifts. The fruit is singular. You can't just say, I'll do love and next year I'll do joy, right? That's, that's not how this fruit works. It's like a whole fruit together. We are called to freedom, but Paul is giving us neither laws in the fruit of the spirit, nor is he giving us license. It's something different because and you know this to be true, law enforcers and rule rejectors can both be pretty horrible to one another. You don't really want to hang out with either. You don't really want to be with a group of people It's like, there's no rules, you can act any way you want, it doesn't matter, right? We joke at Spark, Kevin and I, that one of the rules is you can't be a jerk. That's like the rule, right? All people are welcome, but, but don't be mean, right? We can, we can disagree, but we're, gonna, we're not going to be mean to one another, right? So a rule rejector who just walks in and says, oh, I can be mean because I have freedom in Christ. I can do whatever I want. That would not be a welcomed behavior here at Spark. But also the law enforcers of somebody running around and saying, I think you were a jerk. Were you a jerk? I think you were a jerk just now, and now you have to go and you have to stop being a jerk. That would also be really irritating, wouldn't it? Both of those things aren't helpful. So Paul is saying, you've been given freedom but not freedom to just be self-indulgent. You don't have freedom to just do whatever you want. We're not going to keep you to laws, but we're also not saying that there's no rule at all. And he says this, the whole of Torah is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you go on snapping at each other and tearing each other to pieces, watch out or you'll be destroyed by one another. And that's what happens when you find yourself in one of two camps either the people that want to keep all the rules or the people that want to reject all the rules. In either of those two camps, people snipe at one another pretty quickly. You're not doing it the way we should do it. We said we should. We think it should be done this way. You're not in. We're in. You're out. We're not out. And those places of extremes without any grain in between can seem comforting because they're clear, but they don't really find a home, I don't think, in, in Christ. There's this wonderful story that the rabbis told, and it's actually kind of modern. I'm try- I've always tried to find the source for it, and I, I've just heard it, so I'm, I'm just going to tell it to you, and then you find the source. right? Um, Cain kills Abel back in Genesis. And God's like, hey, where's your brother? And he's like, oh, no. And he's like, your brother's blood's crying out to me from the ground. And Cain says, if you knew, this is in the fable. It's not in your Bible. It's the fable. If you knew I was going to kill my brother, why did you let me do it? And in the fable, God says, I gave you a brain and a soul, and I expect you to use them. I like that. That we are given what we need in order to sort through What needs to be bound on earth and be bound in heaven? What needs to be loosed on earth and loosed in heaven? These are the keys that that Jesus gives his followers that we are able to sort through. What is the rule and what is the law for the various different occasions? But if we are just going to divide into these two camps, we will destroy one another. We'll destroy one another with our sniping and our snapping. So Paul says, but if we allow the spirit of God to govern the way we live, we will avoid both of these extremes, right? Legalism and license. He's going to say, if you're going to let this, is what I want you to do, I want you to be lived by the spirit. That is how you avoid these extremes. You're not going to have to jump to legalism or license. You can do this. So we use this as example of fruit. Now fruit is typically found on a tree. Yes. Or maybe a bush blackberry bush, those kinds of things. And why does a tree bear fruit? A tree does not bear fruit because there's a law of nature that says it must. There's no license that it has to get in order to bear fruit. A tree bears fruit simply because of the life within it that rises up from the soil and the water that feeds its roots and flows through every branch and twig. Fruit is born out of the tree because that's what living things do. Living things Grow fruit. Living things bear fruit and create life. Years ago, I heard somebody lamenting over the fact that their kid was growing up way too fast, which I completely resonate with. And then another parent wisely, sort of just gently said to that parent, It's okay, healthy things grow. And I thought, Right. What's the alternative? Don't grow? Then you'd be at the doctor, right? You'd be like, Why isn't the shell growing? The shell needs to grow. Healthy things grow. And Paul is using an example of fruit of the Spirit to say that when the Spirit is within us, the natural outpouring of a a Spirit-filled life is not one that lends itself towards license or towards law. But it's one that simply bears this fruit singular. So we're going to move through our story a little bit, just very quickly, our little text, with a fruit check. Remember, this is a singular fruit, so we're looking more like at segments of an orange, for example, rather than a whole host of variety of like buffet of fruit, okay? This is a singular fruit of the Spirit. And Paul, as he goes through this list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law, he starts with love. Now, I've told you all many times at Spark, this is like love is my jam. Okay? And I'm unapologetically on the extreme of saying, I'm going to try, because Paul tells me that there's no way I'll ever be able to fully understand or do this, and I'll never grasp how high, how wide, how long, how deep how his love really is. I'm never going to get God's love in my head. I'm going to err extremely on the side of love. And I think Paul, Jesus does that, and I think Paul is doing that too. He starts with love, and love's going to push through. And love is echoing throughout Galatians. Because the power of love enables us to live in a right relationship with both the law and the selfishness of our own desires. When we're known by God, and we know that we are known by God, when we are loved by God, then the natural response is to say, I want to love you back. How do I do that? I do it through a life submitted in obedience to you. Not because I'm required to. Jesus already loves me, whether I do that or not. But because it's the natural outpouring of that experience of love. So Paul starts with love because God is love and God loves us and God so loved the world that he gave his own son and we are called to love God and we are called to love people, even those we might consider our enemies, maybe especially those that we might consider our enemies. And so Paul starts with love. Now, we need practical proof that, to, that we love one another, right? I can't just say, I love you, and then treat you terribly. That's called abuse, and it's trauma, and it happens, right? Where you're getting one message, but the reality, your lived reality is different. Paul is going to say, no, you have to show love in your actions. The whole of the Bible demands this, right? We need practical proof that we love each other. We have to have love in action. James will say, "What is it? what good is it for you to show up and say, be, be warm, be well fed, and then not do anything to help that person, right? Faith without works is dead. Love needs to be shown in action. It's not just a feeling. It's a commandment that God gives us. So we know that it is an action verb, right? It means caring for one another. It means providing for one another, encouraging one another. Love dissolves divisions. Love brings together people who would otherwise hurt, hate, or even kill one another. Love has to be supreme, pushing through. Now, next, Paul moves to joy. And joy, my friends, is a discipline. Because joy coexists with hardship. And you just have to read the the Psalms, which are like 70% lament. Or read any of the prophets who will say things like, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. By the way, God, all this stuff's really bad. My enemies are trying to kill me. Everything's really awful. But now God will then say, and every fall, I want you to come before the Lord for the Feast of Tamaracles and be joyful, right? It's like a commandment. You have to be joyful. Joy is able to coexist with hardship. Joy is a feast. Joy invites everybody to the table. Joy is contagious, and joy includes everyone. And joy is faith, because joy is not being happy. It's not just a feeling that we have. Joy is faith that the circumstances that we are in right now, though difficult they may be, there is still joy present. God is still present with us in those moments, and that is why we rejoice. But I have to say, joy is contagious, isn't it? Have you ever been around somebody who's particularly joyful? And so one of the things I think Paul is saying in this Fruit of the Spirit is not just only the theological concept of joy and how it's different from happiness and how you can be joyful even when you don't feel it. I think he's also saying, run out, find some joy. Life's hard, it's difficult. Paul's going to be in prison and say things like, I consider it pure joy. Right? Life's hard, find some joy. So I'm going to give you a small example of joy in my life recently. I was at Ace Hardware, and it was Christmas time, and they were selling those big inflatables. You know the crazy inflatables for Christmas. And I don't know if you've ever looked at crazy inflatables. Like my daughter really loves crazy inflatables, and they're expensive, particularly at the beginning of Christmas. Like there was like you know, small inflatable dog, three hundred dollars, ridiculous. They had this insane Santa that was taller than the Ace building outside the building. And it was like 200 bucks. I was like, what? That's so insane. So I came home and I told Kevin, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like who buys, first of all, a Santa that's taller than this building? Who would buy that? Who would put that in their, like, where would that go? It looks like something you should be able to use car lot. Not something at somebody's home. Like, Ace Hardware should not be selling this thing. And then why is this, like, reasonable one to put in front of my house $300? And, like, that insane thing is $200. So I said, you know what would be really funny is if we just, like, bought that and stuck it on our neighbor's front yard. So Kevin ran out (laughs) and grabbed our, our friend was out of town flying in that night. And we, you can see, in proportion to the children, the Santa's tushy fills the entire kitchen window. And I laughed, cried, laughed. And this was not something we planned, right? It was like Kevin's just willingness to go and be ridiculous and buy something. But I could see the Santa from the front of my house. And reason for return, too big. It was too big. That is like legitimate reason for return, way too way too big. I loved this moment. And it brought joy to me for like a week. I just kept thinking about it over and over again. And we were trying to hide, like, his, we got his wife, she hid in the car to hear his response upon pulling into the driveway <laughs> after the kids were all in bed. He was, like, texting us, man, like, he's coming, he's coming. I was already asleep, but, like, I'm really, like, and it was just delightful. It made me laugh for hours. I mean, it's, that, it's happiness, but it's also a pursuit of joy and a willingness to find people in your life who will be ridiculous with you because life's hard, and you know, climate change and all the things that keep me up at night. I love this amazing poem by Wendell Berry. For those of you who aren't familiar with Wendell Berry's writings, go and find them all, but we had to read and study them when I was at Fuller Seminary. And in the 70s, he wrote this manifesto for the Mad Farmer Liberation Front, and I've printed it and put it in our Climate Justice Corner so you can go and read the whole thing, and it's definitely all worth your time. But my, one of my favorite lines is, expect the end of the world... Laugh, laughter is immeasurable, be joyful though you've considered all the facts. And that I love, right? Expecting in the world, laugh, be joyful though you've considered all the facts. I think that's sort of what Paul's pushing on here. Next he moves to peace, and we've talked about peace is shalom. It is when things are set to right. It's when God is at home on God 's throne, when God's people are in and with God and creation with one another, in Shalom and in peace, and Jesus says of us that we are to be peacemakers, not just peacekeepers, which we just like, well I won't say the bad thing. I won't say the hard thing, I'll keep the peace. No, no. Make the peace. Pursue the peace. And when we are in peace, it is grounding. It helps us to know which way is north. When we feel that peace that passes understanding, Paul says in Philippians, don't be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We're to be people that when somebody finds us in this world, Obviously, this is not going to happen every day of the week and of your entire life, right? If it's a Tuesday, you're out. But maybe Thursday, somebody encounters you or me, and they go, there was some peace there. I felt some grounding, I felt some peace. Paul moves on to the next part of this fruit and says patience. Patience is a characteristic of the presence of the Spirit. Because patience endures and patience knows that perfect is the enemy of the good. Patience doesn't demand perfection from the people in our lives or from circumstances. Patience knows that things take time. Patience hopes that things can change. Patience has the hard conversation with the difficult other and says you're bigger and greater than this moment you too are on a journey i can be patient with you to change patience with ourselves with others and with god god why didn't you do this on time why didn't you work in the way that i wanted you to work when will you do it patience it's hard it's part of that expression of the fruit of the spirit Kindness is the next one Paul pulls together. Kindness goes beyond duty. Kindness draws people close. Kindness is tender. In Hebrew, when we talk about chesed, covenantal loving kindness, it can't be described exactly. Loving, kindness, mercy, grace. This is the definition of kindness. Kindness puts others before self. Jesus, if you want to know what it looks like, is kindness incarnate. Jesus is kindness on two two feet. And so if we're trying to figure out how to express that aspect of the fruit in our lives, we might ask questions like, what would I do for people if I were Christ? And what would I do for people if they were Christ? Richard Rombrand, who was imprisoned in communist Romania for his faith, he was in the Romanian prison and freezing cold and clutching his blanket wrapped around himself so tight and so cold. And he looked over at a fellow prisoner who was also shivering and had no blanket. And he thought to himself, what would I do if that were Jesus? As he was pulling the blanket closer, he realized that he wanted to give the blanket. Right? Rough. But kindness is seeking spaces. To put others before ourselves, And we talked about goodness. And we talked about, Kevin talked about how we're all made good. And God calls us good. And we're made in the image and the likeness of God. And God says, you are good. And it was beautiful and wonderful. And we talked about how that goodness then can overflow from our heart into the actions of our lives. That goodness can overcome evil. And that we are saved by grace to do good works. We're created and called good, but we're also called to do good in this world. But I don't know if you remember, I kind of pulled him out of the hot seat the next week because in my life, many times I will be complaining about somebody and Kevin will say, well, honey, your life will be much better once you realize people are no darn good. I'm like, so if we're all made good, what's the problem? And then we talked about faithfulness. And we said, well, the, the reason why we can be called good is because of God's faithfulness on display through the person of Jesus. That God has been faithful to us through Christ. That faithfulness keeps promises. Faithfulness is loyalty. Faithfulness is trustworthiness. Eugene Peterson said, faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction. When I was in college, we used to sing a song, I'll obey and serve you. I'll obey because I love you. I'll obey your life is in my hands because it's the way to prove my love when the feelings go away. If it costs me everything, I'll obey. There's a faithfulness that says, I'm going to do it even when I don't feel it. And we are able to be faithful because of Christ's faithfulness, faithfulness to us. And we talked about gentleness, and we talked about how gentleness is humble and honors the humanity of the other, but it anticipates conflict. Gentleness doesn't mean we just lay down and take it. We become a doormat. Gentleness anticipates a conflict, but in the anticipation of the conflict, says I'm going to build a bridge there. I'm going to find resolution. I'm going to find reconciliation. I'm going to find healing. And Paul says, what, did you want me to come at you with a stick? No, I'm going to come at you with gentleness. That we might be moved to change and to shift. And then last week, Pastor Tom talked about self-control. Now, I think this is actually deeply important. That in all these fruits that we're talking about, like feelings, this is a very one that you guys can't even get away with. This is self-control, right? Maybe there are places I shouldn't be going. Maybe there are things I shouldn't be looking at. Maybe there are relationships that I should not be in. There are definitely words I should not say. And there are conversations I probably shouldn't be having or information I shouldn't be spreading. And there are desires I shouldn't give into. And there are attitudes that I should not let take hold. This is self-control and it's not legalism, but it's the realization that Christ calls us to a joyful, liberating hope of self-control instead of being controlled by our desires. Mr. Rogers, again, my favorite, favorite person ever said, you know, how scary is it to feel out of control? How scary is it to feel like you are so mad or so out of control that you can't figure out your way? So he wrote a song called, What Do I Do With The Mad That I Feel? What do you do with that? Because this emotion's big. It's scary to feel out of control. The fruit of the Spirit is to feel like, no, I have agency here. I have some self-control. So as we look at the fruit then, we look at this broad spectrum, we see that that Paul begins with love, a quality that directs our thoughts and actions outward towards others, and ends with self-control, which directs our thoughts and actions inward for our own good, for that of others. And both are needed to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We need love and self-control and all the fruit characteristics in between. So, Here's what Paul says when he lists these out. He says, By contrast the feet of the spirits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, nothing in the Torah stands against such things. And because it's not a spark sermon unless you quote Aristotle, let's just talk about this. When Paul says nothing, there is no law against this, against things there is no law, he's quoting Aristotle. A proverb, no, maybe you did not even know he's quoting Aristotle, but it's sort of like the way people say different things today. And he's basically saying that these qualities are character virtues and you can't legislate to make people behave this way, right? There's no law that can say you should be loving, you should be gentle, you should be kind, you should have some self-control. There might be some laws on that actually. Um, But we can't legislate people to be kind. People will do these things because of who they are, not because the laws compel them to. So Paul is simply saying in effect that here are some characteristics of the Holy Spirit And how the Holy Spirit will produce these these like fruit in your life as Christ lives within you. These things are not like legislation. And this kind of life is not a matter of law at all. This kind of Christ-like character does not come from submitting to the law, but from submitting to Christ by faith. And living your life under the power and guidance of his Spirit. This is a quote from Christopher Wright from his fantastic book on cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. So this is the fruit of the Spirit dwelling within us. This is what that looks like. I want to hang out with a person. Like, if I said, hey, I have a friend for you. They're really great at love, joy, peace, patience, God, and You'd be like, oh, I'd like to hang out with that person. That sounds lovely. If I listed the other thing, they're really great at sorcery and debauchery, you'd be like, "I no, thank you, right? <laughs> Enmity, dissension, and they'll be drunk. Awesome. <laughs> I'd love to hang out with that person. No, no, no. We want to hang out with a person for whom the presence of Christ is overflowing in their life, and we got to see these characteristics. Now, if you are like me, and you are a rule follower, and you like to get straight A's, you're already feeling like, I can't do this. You've just given me a list of very lovely qualities, but tomorrow I'm going to be awful at, at least four out of five, right? When the Spirit of God takes root in our lives, this is the fruit we produce. We Christians don't have a monopoly on these things. These th- this is in combination to be the characteristics of life lived in Christ, and you guys, this is a partnership with the Spirit of God. And it's our will and our choice that we are called to exercise day by day. It's a partnership. God's not going to come in. The spirit of God's not going to overwhelm us all and say, okay, now I will be more loving, right? Instead, it's going to be that we show up day to day and we go, God, can you, Christ, can you make me more loving? Right? So similarly Paul exhorts the Philippians to work out our own salvation for God is the one who works in you both to will and to work, right? There isn't a tension or paradox in Paul's teachings between divine and human agency. It's okay to be in partnership with the presence of God's Spirit in our life. And the reason for this is because of something Paul says earlier in, Corinthians, in Galatians. He says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who lives loved me and gave himself for me. This is how we live by the spirit, the indwelling of Christ in our lives. It means that we are spiritually alive because God has given us new life through his spirit. It begins when we are born again through faith in Jesus Christ. And at that moment, God takes up residency in our lives, through the presence of his Holy Spirit, which is of course the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit isn't just something that we experience doing a really great worship service. Oh, the Holy Spirit was amazing. It was incredible. I really felt it. The Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, day to day, moment by moment, in our character, in our choices, in our submission to the Spirit's will in our life. So I heard years ago Tony Campolo tell the story. He was on an airplane, and there was a person next to him who was really grumpy and angry, and Tony wanted to be able to sort of help this person, but... The person was so mad that he couldn't even strike up a conversation. So he said, so you know what I did? I just leaned on them, which I'm sure the person in the airline loves, right? He said, because I believe that the Holy Spirit is in me and that the power of the Holy Spirit can flow from me into that person. And I just leaned and prayed. And according to his story, by the end of the plane trip, things had softened. And he was able to have an incredible conversation where that person was able to submit and choose Jesus in their life. Not because of anything he did, but because we are just simply vessels of the presence of God in our lives. And the number of times I have prayed, Jesus, I don't love that person, but since your love, would you please love them through me? I can't do it. But by the power of your Holy Spirit in me, I will do it. So Paul ends in Galatians this bit when he says, he says several different times, walk by the spirit. We are led by the spirit. We should live by the spirit and we should keep in step with the spirit. Because if we live by the spirit, let us keep in step shoulder to shoulder is the context with the spirit directing our course. That line that Paul uses there for keeping in step, walking with the spirit, it's actually the same for like a military, like soldiers keeping in step one with another. And I have to tell you, I don't like militaries. Um, it it makes me uncomfortable. But I like the idea of being in step. I like the idea of being in concert. So maybe it looks a little more like this. Maybe this is the communal fruit of the Spirit that we at SPARK are going to be doing together through the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask the presence of the Spirit to be with us, to dwell with us, and together we, in step with one another, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, walk with one another. For the sake of of a radical, spirit-led, fruit-filled, collective lived, experienced in Jesus Christ. So let's do our fruit check. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. One single fruit. This should be present in the lives of our church. It should be present in the lives of people who call themselves followers of Jesus. Because we see these things in Christ, don't we? And that's why we grabbed this verse And we said, let's talk about this. Because too many times I see people saying, oh, I have the gift of this. Or I am a follower of Jesus. And I'm like, where's the fruit? Because if what I see is legalism or rule rejection, and in that there's no love, then it's difficult for me to know who you're following and who dwells within within me. That is the conclusion of our Fruit of the Spirit series. And the way we'd like to sort of round this out for all of you is this prayer. John Stott prayed this prayer every single day of his life. Every morning, you can grab one and pass it back. He prayed this. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence, experience your love, and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you, loving you and loving others. And Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Imagine if every morning we started our day with this prayer. Asking God for the presence of the Spirit in our life to show up in this singular fruit, this grounding prayer. So whether we put it on our bathroom mirror or on our dashboards, we remember to be kind as we drive in traffic or um, in our kitchen when we're doing things or at our cube, at our office, or whatever it might be, my prayer is that this Fruit Fruit of the Spirit series has moved us all to say here's what it looks like to follow Jesus. Broken, difficult, we're going to mess up all the time. But it's not only our effort. It is us leaning in partnership with the presence of the Spirit and saying, do this in my life. Make this evident so that when people think of me in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, they see this fruit evident. We're going to turn our hearts now to the time of communion here at spark. Remembering that Jesus himself has died for us, has risen and given us new life and has made all of this possible for in the night in which he was betrayed. Our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples saying, take eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Friends, all are welcome at this table. Come and eat all who are hungry come and eat all who are thirsty come drink feast with your lord and savior jesus and with your sisters and your brothers amen